Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Happy Easter. All right, let's celebrate Jesus just a little bit. I don't care to tell you. This is my favorite day of the year, and I want you to know if you are a believer in Jesus and he's rescued you from you and placed you on a a new trajectory headed to an eternity with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's a good day in the neighborhood. Amen? And I don't know what you brought today. I don't even know why you came, but I I know what I want you to leave with. And that is if you are a believer, a rekindled, a a, a freshness of of a faith in the resurrected Jesus. And maybe you're a guest today. And and I want to tell you in particular, thank you so much for being here. You look good. And uh, if you would, at the end of the service, when you leave, if you'll tear off the connection card on the back of your life guide and turn that in at the Connection Center, we have a gift for you because we're delighted that you gave us your Easter Sunday morning to worship with us here. And uh, I I don't want to hide from it. I don't want to skirt around the reality of this one truth. The church at Sturkey Hills is here on Easter Sunday for one reason, and that is to celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, because just like the angel said, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. That's why we're here. You cool with that? All right, then we're going to keep moving. All right, to get me to a place where I need to be, I got to tell you a story. So there was a a, a small airplane, and they were flying across the sky, and there was a pilot, and there were four passengers, and, and the engine started acting up, and then it died. And so the pilot jumped up, he turned around to his, to his uh, passengers, he said, listen, I got bad news and worse news. The bad news is the engine just died, we're going down. He said, the worst news is there's five of us, there's four parachutes. He grabbed one out the door, he went. Then a lady jumped up and she said, listen, I'm a brain surgeon, I'm headed to a serious procedure that if I don't make it, this man will die. I need a parachute, grabbed one, out the door she went. Man stood up, he said, listen, I am a chemist and I just discovered major breakthroughs in the medical community. And he said, I am going to a conference to explain my breakthroughs and then they're going to name me the smartest man in the world. He grabbed a parachute, out the door he went. That left two, old man and a little boy. The old man said, son, there's just one parachute and there's two of us and I'm old, I've lived a good life. You're a little boy, you have much life to live. Why don't you take the parachute and I'll stay on the plane. The little boy looked at the man. He said, sir, we're going to be fine. There's two parachutes. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. (laughs) Now you say, what's that got to do with resurrection? Are you ready? You need to know when hope is lost and death comes knocking at your door, you better be holding on to the right thing. Amen. You better know that you have grabbed the right thing. And we're going to look at today the one thing that you can hold on to when the, on the darkest day. The one thing you can hold on to in the day that God calls you out of this place called life. The one thing that will lead you into an eternal presence with God your maker. And it is the resurrection. This is, this is why I love Easter. It's my favorite day of the year because of the resurrection. And don't get me wrong. I love the fact that Jesus resurrected. That's cool. I love the fact, the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But I love the fact even better that he did it for me. And because of his resurrection, I get to participate in the resurrection. You see, it, it's not just an amazing, and it is an amazing thing. In fact, it's the most, uh, the most significant event in human history. 
And that event transfers into our lives. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we are here. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And the title of the message is simply this. On the back of your life guide, something worth holding on to. And it is, in fact, the resurrection. But sometimes Easter loses its meaning. All of us at one point or the other have experienced an Easter where we really didn't get the magnitude of the resurrection. We really just didn't get it. It's kind of like Christmas, you know, you, you see the sign, Jesus, the reason for the season, right? Because we kind of forget the reason for the season. Well, the bad news is Easter, we forget the reason for the season. We forget that Easter is about God resurrecting from the dead for you on your behalf and on my behalf, proving that he, that he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. Now, how do I know sometimes we lose the reason for Easter season? Statistics. They can be our friends. So I did a little research this week, and this is what I learned about Easter in America. 80% of, America, of the American population will celebrate Easter in 2022. Now, that sounds good on the surface. That's 263 million people who say that they're going to celebrate Easter. But then when you dive a little deeper into the statistics, you realize that 40% of America will attend church on Easter Sunday. And so for those of us that love church, the Lord's church, the bride of Christ, and Easter church is part of our Easter celebration, we scratch our heads and we say, well, what are the rest of them people doing if they're celebrating Easter? I got the information, statistics, here it is. What they're doing is spending money. You see, Easter is the third largest generating holiday weekend in America, next to Christmas and Valentine's. Easter 2022, America spent $21.6 billion, billion uh, on Easter. And I, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that I got me a new jacket. Got me a cool jacket. You might have got new underwear, socks. I don't know what you got. But you can look around, you know, we got, we're spending money on Easter. But you know where most of the revenue is generated from? You probably know. You ready? Candy. We spent on Easter this year $3 billion on candy. That's how we celebrate Easter. He's risen. Let's eat some candy. All right? And then we keep looking and and. We find out this, the number one contributor to the revenue is a chocolate rabbit. 91 million chocolate rabbits we eat in America. And here's an interesting stat that will uplift your spirits on Easter. 78% of all people in America eat the rabbit ears first. I thought you'd like to know that. And it makes sense if you think about it. You don't want to start other places. I'll just say it and move on, okay? So we start at the ears. Not only 91 million uh, rabbit, chocolate rabbits, but we also will consume 700 million marshmallow peeps, and I do not know why we eat those. You know? That's average of two per person chocolate, I mean, uh, marshmallow peeps for Easter. Now, I said earlier that 40% of America attend church on Easter. Now, what's cool about that is that still makes Easter Sunday the largest attended service in church all year long. Easter is still the biggest day in the life of the church, and it should be, right? And on the surface, it sounds good. Well, there's a victory, right, where it's the biggest day for church attendance. But I think I know why based on another statistic. I think the reason is for confession and repentance and guilt. From what? My final statistic. 81% of parents in America agree that they will steal candy from their kids' Easter basket. <laughs> now, what I need you to do is look to your left just real subtly. And now look to your right real subtly. Now look up here. You're probably sitting in between a pair of thieves. <laughs> Jesus was crucified between two thieves. So it's a wonderful thing to know for Easter. 
But I will warn you, hang on to your wallet. Ladies, put a foot on your purse, okay? Because you're sitting next to a thief. Now, that's what America thinks Easter is all about because we get so confused so easily and so quickly. I want you to know today that no matter why you came today, you may have come to church today because you have a sincere devotion and a love for Jesus Christ. I hope that's it. That's my reason, and I get paid. But I don't know why you came. Maybe you came today because you're just curious about the resurrection. You're curious about Easter. Why, if, if, if most of the world believes it's a real deal, maybe I need to check it out. Maybe you have a drug problem. Maybe your friend or your mother drug you up here for Easter. You had to come. I don't know. But I know this. Easter is so much more than what we think it is. Easter is the most uh, celebrated, the most uh, significant event in all of human history. When Jesus, who possessed a dichotomy that no one has ever possessed, a dichotomy means he was all God and all man. And while being all man, he was never less God. And while being all God, never less man. He was God, man, Jesus. And he died on a cross for our sin on Friday, rested in that tomb on Saturday. But praise the Lord on Sunday morning, he got up out of that grave. He is alive. And because of his resurrection, you can be alive too. And that is why we are here today. And so we're going to learn some things. Now, Jesus, while he was here, he did some uh, amazing things. And, and he said, he, he made some uh, um, amazing uh, comments about himself. And he didn't hide from it. Jesus often made profound comments about himself and his ministry. And one of those was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. That's profound. In a world of pluralism, where there's a pantheon of gods, where we want to believe all these different things, you know, I can just be good enough, or I can do this or do that, or there's all these ways to heaven. Jesus said, let me just be real clear. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father, God, but through but by me. Jesus was very clear. Now, if you're going to make a comment about that, which is pretty bold, it's not politically correct, it's not uh, media sexy, it's not uh, user-friendly to everybody, um, if you're going to make a comment like that, you better have something to back it up, right? You better be able to do something big to authenticate that statement. Nothing screams, I'm different than the rest, like resurrection from the dead, right? And so I was reminded when I was thinking about this sermon about Jesus, you're the only way, and I'm glad that you, in, that you introduced yourself to me through your Holy Spirit. And I was just thinking about, and I was rem reminded, we lived in Birmingham for a while, and I worked with a guy, and quite honestly, I would have bet money he never went to church in his life. Okay, I mean, I mean, he, you would just not would think he's a church guy. So it was Easter, and I said, hey, Mike, I'd like to invite you to church with me on Easter Sunday. And he looked at me so seriously, he goes, I go to church. And I know he saw my face. I said, you do? He goes, oh, yeah, almost every week. Well, okay, where do you go to church? He said, I go to the Universal Church of Birmingham. I said, oh, okay. What do they believe? This is what he said. Do what the expletive you want to. In the end, we all go to heaven. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, my church is different. I said, we believe Jesus is the only way. And I believe Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to prove he's the only way. So I'm going to listen to him. He goes, he got real sophisticated, real religious on me. He said, I, I know how y'all believe. I said, okay. He said, let me explain my logic. I knew we were in trouble, okay? I'm not saved by logic. I'm saved by faith. <laughs> and he said, let me explain my logic. 
He said, if I want to go to Walmart tomorrow, he said, I can get on the bypass 459. It'll take me to exit 280. I can go to Walmart. He said, I can go straight down I-65, make my way over to the Walmart on 280. He said, I can go uh, I-59. I can take exit whatever it was, take 231, make my way to the Walmart. He said, I can ride a bicycle, drive a car, uh, ride a bus, or walk. At the end of the day, I make it to Walmart. You see, I believe there's a lot of ways that we can go to heaven when we die. And I would agree, maybe there's one way that's better than others, but all of those ways can lead to Walmart. I said, man, that, you just smoked me. That's awesome. I said, I got one problem. He said, what? I said, when I die, I ain't going to Walmart. In fact, I don't even want to go and I'm alive. Okay? And I said, number two, Jesus said otherwise. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to prove what he said was true. I'm going to go with, with my way, but you're welcome to come to my church anytime. Now, I say that because Jesus made these profound uh, statements, these claims of, of the greatness that he was God. Nobody else has ever done that. In fact, when you consider some of the things that people place their faith in, you realize that Jesus is, in fact, the only way. The Muslim community believes Muhammad is their way to God, the prophet Muhammad. But even the Muslims in the Quran, in their holy book, it says in Surah 1933 that Jesus would rise from the dead. In the Quran, it says in Surah 4158, Jesus would be taken to heaven. But then their holy man, Muhammad, is buried in Medina. Now, this is kind of odd. I'm placing my faith here in a dead man. Jesus is alive. You just keep looking at religions and philosophies around the world. Confucius, the great Chinese philosopher, he, his body is in a tomb in eastern China. Gautama Buddha died, was cremated, and his hair, his teeth, and his ashes are scattered over 24 countries. Mahatma Gandhi, a Hindu, was shot in the chest, cremated, and scattered around India. Joseph Smith, the Mormon founder of the, uh, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, who believed that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. He was shot by a mob. Now, i got to pause right here. So Kendra and I went to Brewster's this week, and I got my manly ice cream, raspberry truffle in a waffle cone. Kendra ordered something different, had to know everything that's in it. And I got up to the door or the window to pay, and this, man, this young guy was taking care of my stuff. And I said, hey, man. I said, you go to church anywhere? And he goes, I was going to invite him to church. And he said, oh, yeah. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, uh, oh. I'm saying, what's the name of that church? I said, you know where it's at? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's up, the name of the street is, and he stumbled around there. And he said, it's the LDS, Latter-day Saints Church. I said, okay. I got my ice cream and drove away. Kendra said, why didn't you invite him to church? I said, he would have never found it. <laughs> I mean, we, all people are lost before they meet Jesus. This guy's like lost to the next level. I don't even think he knew he was working at Brewster's, just to be honest with you. But anyway, that's beside the point. So uh, Joseph Smith, who started this thing, he is dead. He was murdered. Ron Hubbard started uh, Scientology, died of a stroke. Mary Baker Eddy, the Church of Christ of Scientists, dead. <laughs> Jesus Christ is alive. I, I, I mean, I'm glad I'm a Christian because Jesus saved me. 
He's sealed me with his spirit. He's changed my trajectory. He's changed my eternal destiny. I'm going to heaven when I die. I live full and free while I'm living. And at the same time, I'm the only one that has a living pioneer, a living man, a living God-man who came and died and rose. We're the only one. Christian, Resurrection Sunday is a good day for you. This, you are the only people who have a living God, a living Savior. And that's good news, and that's what we want to do today. We want to just think about it a little bit as we, uh, as we go through our Easter day. So maybe you're here today, and your soul still has some doubt, some questions. Maybe there's some unanswered things, some unresolved things in your life. And I want you to know, if you're looking for something to hold on to when hope is gone and death comes knocking, resurrection is it. How can you know? Because maybe it's just not chiseled in granite just yet. Most of us have all been there at some place. I want you to see today how you can nail that down, how you can drive a stake in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and tether your forever existence to that stake. The first thing I want you to see on the back of your life guide, number one, is to evaluate, evaluate the Scripture. Just simply evaluate Scripture, okay? Let's just see what it says. And that's what we're going to do for just a minute. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, this is the Scripture talking about the resurrection. It says, now after the Sabbath, now that's the Jewish Sabbath, that would be Saturday, the day of rest. Jesus' body's been in the tomb resting. Nothing happens on the Shabbat. It says, at the dawn of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, He says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2, suddenly there was an earthquake, a severe earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Then the guards were shaken and became like dead men because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here for he has been raised just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has been raised from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee and you will see him there. Listen, because I've told you. Now let me pause right there. I was thinking about, I've read this, I don't know how many hundreds of times and I never really thought about this angel. What an amazing assignment. You're a a part of the myriads of angels, and you get this one assignment. I don't know. That just seems so amazing to me. It's like God chooses this one angel, and he says, I got a job for you, and it's probably the best job that's ever been given. I want you to go to earth, and I want you to go to the place where they buried Jesus, and I'm going to let them know you're coming because I'm going to shake it real good. Now, I want you to put on your white lightning clothes, and when you get down there, I want you to have this little, uh, this little phrase, these phrases, a few sentences to share. And then I just want you to roll that stone away, and actually, the Greek says it was cast away, and I just want you to sit down on it ringside and watch what's going to happen. I got to thinking about that, how cool that would have been to come from heaven, get to be a part of this resurrection morning, the greatest event in human history. And so that's what happened. The angel does exactly what he's supposed to do. The stone is rolled away. Jesus is ascended. The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let Mary and the other Mary in. And so that's what happens. Now let's keep reading. It says, so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. 
But Jesus met them. (laughs) This is the new and improved resurrected Jesus. He met them saying, greetings. And they came to him. They held on to his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. Now, if we look in other passages about this event, we read in John chapter 20, verse 8, that, excuse me, in John chapter 20, that, uh, that Peter and John get the memo. Hey, Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. So the Bible says that they took off running toward the tomb. So keep in mind, we're pretty close proximity. They're not running a long marathon that's not that far away. They took off running. Well, the Bible says that John got there first, and, but he was afraid to go in. Peter shows up, and like Peter would do, he just goes running on in to check it out. We read in John chapter 28 this amazing verse. It says, then the other disciple, that's John, the beloved, the one that Jesus loved the most. It says, then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, then he came in and he saw and he believed. What a beautiful verse for me and for you. If you've got doubts today, questions today, concerns today, uncertainties today, I want you to know that an empty tomb is a wonderful place to leave your doubts. It says that John came and saw and walked away believing. You know what he saw? Nothing. He believed based on the nothingness that he saw. I want you to know today, sometimes the thing that we don't see is the greatest thing to help us see what matters most. And the empty tomb is a good place to hang your doubts. The fact that he's not there is a good place to say, wow, Jesus did what he said. And I'm going to give my life to somebody like that. Let's keep looking. If If we keep reading scripture, only scripture, it's all we're doing right now. Just read through the scripture. You'll run across a passage written by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read it in a few minutes. You'll read passages that talks about the conversion of Jesus' half-brother James, who would ultimately write the book of James. And, and he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah even at the crucifixion. He lived with him every day, shared bunk beds and ate ate chips with him. I mean, he knew him, but he didn't believe he was the Messiah until he, Jesus was resurrected and showed up and said, James, it's me. You read passages that talks about doubting Thomas. What a name to carry the rest of eternity with. What's your name? Not Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Loser. He's always referred as Doubting Thomas. Why? Because he said, I will not believe unless I see and touch his scars. Jesus said, okay, I'll show you. Thomas, come check it out. He touched his scars. He believed. You keep reading just scripture. You hadn't done anything. You hadn't left scripture. Just reading a book. You read about a guy whose name is Saul, who is a Jewish zealot wanting to persecute and exterminate the early church, the people of the way, the church itself. And and so he meets the resurrected Jesus, is blinded, and his name is changed to Paul. Paul, the world evangelist to the Gentiles. You read about these stories, and, and all of a sudden, you begin to ask yourself, either this is a myth or a fable or a legend, or it's God who came to earth to demonstrate how much he loved us, that he would give himself as ransom and payment for your sin debt. And so evaluation of scripture should be enough. But 
There's a lot of people in the world, even in the church, who are not convinced just yet that this book is infallible, inerrant, and eternal. We want to pick and choose fragments of it and say, well, that's good. I like that. I, 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 my, my mind says that's true. And so we want to fragment it. It's not a buffet. It's full course. And so, but some people aren't there yet. So how do those people who can't just believe God's word just yet, how do you drive a stake in the ground about the resurrection, tether yourself to it, and live a life for God? Number two, examine the evidence. Examine the evidence. A people with great minds, far greater than mine, they've done all the work. They've done the work for me. They've done the work for you. And they have determined that, that there is inescapable evidence that Jesus Christ literally came out of the grave alive after being dead. In fact, there are scholars who say that there, is, there are evi more evidence about the resurrection of Jesus, not the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the, the ascension of Jesus, just the resurrection of Jesus. There's more evidence about that one fact than there is about the whole life of Julius Caesar. And yet, if somebody came to you and said, hey, do you believe Julius Caesar was really a guy? <laughs> You'd say, oh yeah. Why do you believe that? Well, I read it in my history book. I saw a special on the History Channel, and therefore I believe. And yet we question the authenticity of the resurrection of God. Isn't that odd? And yet we do that. Why? Because the devil doesn't care if you believe in Julius Caesar. He doesn't care at all what you think about Julius Caesar. The devil hates the fact that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection on your behalf. Another reason that it's great to place our faith in Jesus is because the enemy hates it. So we examine the evidence. Now, how do we examine the evidence? Well, there's a systematic way of examining the evidence. It's called the inference to the best explanation. I would ask for a show of hands, but I wouldn't see any because probably none of us know what that is. Well, this is a methodology for, um, for evaluating uh, evidence. And, and here's what scholars say about it. Dr. William Lane Craig, he's writing about the inference, and he's of, of uh, inference to the best explanation. He says, you begin with the evidence available to us, and then you infer what would, if true, provide the best explanation of that evidence. In other words, we ought to accept an event as historical if it gives the best explanation for the evidence that surrounds it, right? So when we evaluate the evidence, what does it look like? Well, these are the truths that scholars agree on, whether they're Christian or not. Whether they're secular or New Testament scholars, they agree on these, these, these few things. One of them, the fact that there was an empty tomb, the, the empty tomb. They believe it because the first testimony of an empty tomb came from women. And women were not highly regarded in that culture. And yet God would choose women to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Already, it, 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 has, different, uh, it has a different feel to it than other events. Number two, there's testimony after testimony about an empty tomb. An empty tomb that shouldn't be empty because it had a large stone placed over it and it was sealed and there was a Roman guard, meaning a group of guards, placed around it in fear that somebody might steal Jesus' body. 
Not only that, but as they begin to look at it, they realize that in history, whenever somebody is a holy person, a holy man, they would take their body and their bones and they would erect a shrine in honor and memory of this holy person. It's 2022. Jesus still has no shrine. The reason he has no shrine is because they have no bones to enshrine. They never found his body. Never, not one ounce of evidence proving they found his body. The reason they didn't find his body because his body was resurrected, revealed to his followers, and his resurrected, glorified body was not placed in a tomb. It ascended into heaven, and one day it will descend to get his church. Now, so we, all we do is we evaluate the evidence. What other evidence do we have? Uh, we have an empty tomb. We have extra biblical and non-biblical manuscripts. There are over 39 manuscripts, historic, ancient manuscripts that write about non-biblical, they didn't make the cut in the book, that write about the resurrection of Jesus. Some of those writings come from a historian named Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian, that's all. He was, he was given the job to write Jewish history. He wasn't a Christian necessarily, wasn't a non-Christian. He was a historian. And this is what he writes in one of his writings. He says, Jesus appeared to them, his followers, alive again the third day, just as the divine prophets had foretold. These and 10,000 other wonderful things Jesus did. You read people like Suetonius, who was a Roman historian, and in one of his writings, he wrote the biography of Nero, and he says, Nero persecuted the church extensively because they believed in the resurrection. They believed it. It was a real thing that people bought into. Pliny the Younger wrote a letter to the rulers stating that the church were meeting together on Sundays in remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus. And so you, you, you're looking for extra biblical evidence. You look outside of the Bible to find a reason to believe in the resurrection. So let's spin the timetable forward almost 2,000 years and read some of our contemporaries. This is what they say about it. Dr. Simon, Green, uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, a Harvard School of Law professor who helped establish the School of Law at Harvard in the 1800s. He said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence of the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just about any other event in human history. Another bright mind, Dr. Robert Ingersoll, he's a great agnostic. He was trying to debunk and discredit the resurrection. He was convinced to write a book disclaiming the resurrection of Jesus but his wife was a Christian. That'll mess you up every time. And so she began to pray for him while he began to write. When he got to the fourth chapter, it dawned on him, the resurrection is real. And the Holy Spirit impressed upon his heart and he became a believer. And he changed his book altogether. And those of us that are old will be familiar with the name of his book, which became a movie, Ben-Hur. You keep reading, you read about a guy uh, who in the 1950s and 60s was a college student who stood against the cause of Christ and was an agnostic and a non-believer. And he went away to write this book about why the resurrection wasn't real. And while writing the book, 
He met the resurrected Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicted his heart and he changed his book and called it evidence that deserves a verdict. His name, Josh McDowell. In the 1980s, a journalist, a lawyer, an investigative reporter set out to disprove the resurrection, to prove his wife was wrong and the church as well. And so he went to write a book, but after beginning to write the book, God changed his heart and he wrote a different book. It's called A Case for Christ. His name is Lee Strobel. And so if you're here today and you're really questioning the reality of resurrection, I would just encourage you, go write a book about it. You're liable to get saved. Change your book. Maybe come up with a cool movie. All right? And so we examine the evidence. Next, they believe in this truth, eyewitness accounts. Now, this, this is, in my opinion, overwhelming. Overwhelming. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing. He says, now I want to make this clear for you, brothers and sisters. The gospel that I preach to you, that you received, that you stand on, and by which you are being saved... If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you just believed in vain, for I passed on to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to Scripture. That's the gospel. He says, and that he, Jesus now, appeared to Cephas, that would be Peter, and then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, if you want to go ask them, though some have fallen asleep or died. He says in verse 7, then he appeared to James, his half-brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time. Paul says, he appeared to me too, resurrected and alive. Virtually all scholars who deal with with the resurrection struggle with the reality of eyewitnesses because these eyewitnesses are not just giving a testimony these eyewitnesses would die a martyr's death for not recanting their position one man was named polycarp they brought polycarp in they said polycarp you've got to stop giving the testimony about the resurrected jesus or we're going to kill you. He says, 80 and five years I've served the Lord. How can I do that now? They strung him up to a post. They wrapped him, tied him up. They built, uh, they built kindling at the bottom for the fire. They said, uh, they said Poly- oh, first they said, Polycarp, we're going to feed you to wild animals. He said, bring on the wild animals. Then they tied him to a stake. And they ignited his body in an arena. They martyred him. History says that when his body was burning, a sweet aroma rose up into heaven. Listen, these people believed in the resurrection because there was a resurrection. These people were willing to die saying that Jesus was alive because they had seen him alive. Church, that's how we're supposed to live our lives. No matter what somebody says, no matter how great the question may seem, no matter how, how much the doubts may rise up in our mind, we believe in the resurrection, not because it sounds good. We believe in the resurrection because it is good. We believe in the resurrection because it's real. We believe in the resurrection because Jesus is alive forevermore. So, wise man once said, if Jesus is still in that grave, then nothing really matters. But if Jesus came out of that grave, nothing but that really matters. Number three is the extermination of the disciples. 
10 out of 12 of the original disciples were martyred for their faith. They were either crucified, beheaded, or speared or stoned. And beyond that, there's the, the, the reason that people didn't want to believe them is they said they're lying about their testimony. So they said they've all had hallucinations. Well, there's a problem with that idea. People don't have the same hallucination. I don't care if they're smoking the same mushrooms or not. They don't have the same epiphanies, the same hallucinations. But in, in addition to that, the hallucinations that they had included tangible, physical experiences with Jesus. They ate food with Jesus. They drank wine with Jesus. There was more than just some hallucination. And so either they were hallucinating or they were mad lunatics or they really saw the resurrected Jesus. And I contend today they saw the resurrected Jesus. And I want you to know today you can experience the resurrection of Jesus. You know, since that day, over 70 million Christians have been martyred for their, for their faith in the resurrection and in Jesus. Did you know that 10,000 believers, Christians, are murdered every year today for their faith? Because they're willing to take a stand in a culture, in a world where it's not popular. Number four, and I finish, expansion of the church. How can you dr drive a stake in the ground about the resurrection, tether your life to it, and live full and free because of the proof of the expansion of the church, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the martyrdom, regardless of the extermination of the early believers. Here we are, the year 2022, gathering today in a church because it's real. And the resurrection truth changes our lives so much that it lasts even this long. And so today, you might ask a question. Well, if there's so much persecution to the church, to the believers and in the world, why would the church still be here? What prevents Jesus from coming back for us as he said he would do? And I want to tell you, he is going to come back because Jesus said he's going to come back. And Jesus can't say anything that he does not fulfill because of that script, scripture that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why has he not come back yet with all the tragedy in the world? Because Second Peter tells us that God is, is not slow as some count slowness, but God is patient and willing that none should perish and that all should have eternal life. Maybe, just maybe, the reason Jesus has not returned yet is because of you. Maybe he's waiting on you. I like to think this sometimes, that somebody gets saved, and in that moment, that was the final one, which I'd kind, I'm glad I got saved when I did, but it would be cool to be the last one too, to usher Jesus back to this planet, to receive his church unto himself. Maybe, just maybe, he's waiting for Easter 2022 for him to return. And so we're all here today. And as I said before, I'm not sure why you came or your motivation, but I know my motivation was not to convince you. I don't want to convince anybody. 
because I'm not that well-spoken and that, not that bright, not that articulate. And if I convince you of something, somebody who's more convincing can convince you otherwise. My job is simple, to show you the truth about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then pray for you, which I have and this church has, that the Holy Spirit would reach down into the depth of your soul and invite you into his family maybe for the very first time or maybe you're here and you're already a believer that the Holy Spirit would reach into your soul and just warm you up and say isn't that good what I did for you live like you believe it and that is why we're here on this day that is purely why we're here and so Easter would be nothing if we didn't have an opportunity to respond to the resurrection to respond to what Easter is all about. How do, how do we respond? In this room today, I believe there's four simple responses to Easter. One is, I didn't really come here for this, but I feel the Holy Spirit inviting me to Him, and I want to be saved today. That's a beautiful response. What an amazing Easter, 2022, for you to be saved. Maybe that's not your response because maybe you're already saved. But maybe you're saved, but you've never followed Jesus in believer's baptism. And on this day, you realize, hmm, he resurrected from the dead. I need to do what he says I'm supposed to do. I need to follow in believer's baptism. Maybe third today, you've already been saved, received Jesus into your life. Maybe you've been baptized. But you're reminded today. What an amazing thing he did for you. It's worth you giving your life fully to him. And on this day, you recommit your life to Jesus. That's three. But you know what I think the most popular response to Easter is in 2022 and 2021 and probably every other Easter? No, I'm fine right where I am. And our, our own pride keeps us from responding to the call of the Holy Spirit on our life. And so I want to encourage you in just a few minutes to respond to Easter. You say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? I'm going to make it very, very simple for you. Maybe you're here today and you know you need to be saved and recommit your life or be baptized. You can come down to this altar where I'll be standing and I'll pray with you when you come down here. Maybe you want to be bold in your faith to make a proclamation to your family and to those in the church, uh, to the Lord and to the enemy and to yourself. I'm walking down to the altar because i got to get this right. Amazing, beautiful. That's how I did it when I was a little 10-year-old boy. But maybe you're uncomfortable with that. I want to give you another option. On the back of your life guide, there's a little tear-off. It's called a connection card. You can put your name, your information on there and the decision you're making today. I personally will reach out to you and contact you and talk to you about your decision. Thirdly, maybe you don't have a pen. I'm not walking down there, I don't have a pen. You probably have a phone. On, in, on the back of your life guide, there's a QR code. Young people know what that is. You take your phone, you scan that QR code, it'll take you to a link, and you can put your information in there and your decision, and I will be contacting you about your decision. Now I gotta tell you this, why is this so important to me? I, I've never, I've never felt burdened about people who 
are outside of a relationship with God so much as this very Easter Sunday. Let me explain why. Only in the last couple of weeks, this has happened in my life. Just this past week, Tanner Walker, our audiovisual director, and he plays on the worship team, just great friend of mine, employer at the church. His grandmother, Pat Ford, passed away, and she was 88 years old. And I went to the graveside, and it was a celebration. She was a believer. But this same week, uh, Bernice Caldwell, Anthony Caldwell, friend of mine, attends here. Uh, he and his family, his grandmother, Bernice, passed away. She was 86 years old. And then Glenn Carden, who's here, his nephew, Benny Carden, 78 years old, passed away. And we buried him just a couple of weeks ago. And right now, some of you are thinking, well, they lived a good life. Sure they did. But that's not where the story ends. It's not just old people dying. You see, we're all dying of a terminal illness. And the only problem is we don't know how long the term is. And, and death is something that's imminent. It's coming for us. Listen to the rest of this. This has just happened. You may not want to be my friend when I finish this list. Norma Day, Caleb, our worship leader's mother, she passed away this week. She was 67 years old. She loved Jesus. Nathan Ridner, Allie Stone, who came here for a few years. Her dad, who was a friend of mine, 48 years old, fell over in his truck and died of a heart attack. Trevor Jordan, a, friend, a young friend of mine's brother, was 23 years old, died in a traffic accident. And you say, it's everywhere. Listen at this one. Right here in our own community, a young man whose name was Justin Keene. He's a good young guy. He hadn't been to church in a while. His mother was on him about going to church. Just a couple of Sundays ago, he went to church on a Sunday morning. After church, he went to his mother's house. His mother said, how's your morning been? He said, it's been great. I went to church. She said, you did? He said, yeah. And he said, Jesus saved me. And he got saved. A few hours later, he was on his four-wheeler, and his four-wheeler flipped over, and he died just a short time later, 31 years old. I just tell, I don't tell you that. You may be saying, you're telling me that to scare me. <laughs> you need to be scared. <laughs> We're all dying. And Jesus has made a way where there is no death. Sure, there's a physical death, but the physical death in the, found in the resurrection of Jesus ushers us into the greatest chapter of living we can ever experience. And so as we sing in just a few minutes, I would just invite you to do some introspection, to look into your life and into your heart and ask the Holy Spirit, God, where am I at with you today? Is there a decision that you want me to make on Easter 2022? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for all you do for us. God, we thank you for being such an amazing God. We don't understand the magnitude of your gift of love by giving your son Jesus brutally upon a cross and God we can't really wrap our minds around the resurrection because it's outside of us but God your word said that's what you were going to do your word says that's what you did do your word says that now what we need to do is 
respond to Easter by receiving your grace gift. God, if there's those here today who need to be saved, I pray that the only spirit that would be moving in this place is the Holy Spirit. All other spirits would be bound and cast out. God, I pray for boldness in the hearts of individuals who know that this may be their day of salvation as your scripture says. And God, I pray for those of us that are saved that we would recommit our lives and live fully and freely knowing there's a world out there dying to know the story of Jesus. God, we thank you for all that you do for us, for being so good to us all the time. Thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.